Good morning. It's great to uh, see such an energetic uh, crowd of people here to hear our um, guest poets today. Uh, my name is Anne Hostetler, and I teach in the English department. And today, it's my great pleasure to welcome uh, to read uh, to us Brenda Cardenas and Maurice Kilwine Guevara. Um, they both teach at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and they're both uh, accomplished poets, and I think you'll enjoy their uh, work today. Um, this lecture and the events of uh, the Latina Poetry Festival today and tomorrow are made possible by the family and friends of S.A. Yoder. Um, the English Department and uh, the Office of Multicultural Affairs and the Center for Intercultural Teaching and Learning. Um, but before I introduce um, Maurice and Brenda, I'm just going to tell you a little story that will make you feel just like they're part of our community. Um, they're very special people, and uh, they really helped me out yesterday. Um, my daughter went to a wedding in northern Wisconsin of a camp leader, and it was very hard to get her there and back. And then, you know, yesterday we had the monsoons because of Hurricane Ike. And I found out about noon that she was stranded in Milwaukee. She was planning to take the ferry from Milwaukee to Muskegon and drive down through Michigan home with a friend. But the ferry, the waves on Lake Michigan were so high, the ferry had to turn around. And you know how it is when it's like pouring rain, you just don't know what to do. And I thought, how am I ever going to get her home? And then I thought, well, you know, Brenda and Maurice are driving down from Milwaukee, and I wonder if they would bring Juliet. And then I thought, oh, but Juliet's with a friend. Would they bring Juliet and her friend? And in fact, they did. So you can tell these are people who have um, hearts of gold, and they're very community-oriented and already feel like part of the family. <laughs> Um, Maurice Kawain Guevara is the author of three books of poetry, Autobiography of So-and-So, which was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Critics Circle Award, Poems of the River Spirit, and Postmortem, as well as a play, The Last Bridge, and several screenplays. His newest collection of poetry, Poema, is forthcoming from the University of Arizona Press. Maurice is also a founding member of the National Latino Writers Association and former president of the Association of Writers and Writing Programs. His poems have appeared in numerous magazines and journals and anthologies, including American Poetry, The Next Generation. Born in Belencito, Colombia, Maurice was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and is now a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Brenda Cardenas is the author of a chapbook of poems from the tongue of brick and stone and the co-editor of Between the Heart and the Land, Latina Poets in the Midwest, which contains work by our very own Lisa Guerrea Carreño. Brenda's next book of poems, Boomerang, is also forthcoming from the University of Arizona Press. In addition to writing poetry, Brenda is also a performance artist and rocks out with a spoken word and music ensemble, Sonido Inquieto, with whom she has recorded a CD entitled Chicano Il Noise, The Blue Island Sessions. Her poems have appeared in numerous magazines and anthologies, and she has received two artist grants from the Illinois Arts Council. Um, Brenda is currently an assistant professor at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. She was born into a second-generation Chicano-Mexican Chicano family, Mexican-American family, and was born and raised in Milwaukee. Both Maurice and Brenda will help us become aware of how the language we use shapes our world. 
Through interlingual poetry, they explore the ways in which English and Spanish languages play off of each other to create new and creative ways of seeing. They are also interested in the relationship between poetry and the images we carry in our minds. Today, each of them will share a poem with you that relates to a series of images, in Maurice's case, an animation, and in Brenda's, a painting by a Latino artist. We hope this will whet your appetite to hear more of their work at their joint poetry reading tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in Reith Recital Hall, which will be the English Department's 38th Annual Essay Yoder Lecture. At noon today, Maurice and Brenda will be the featured guests at a multicultural Monday lunch at Java Junction. If you'd like to learn more about their journeys as writers and how they came to do what they do today, please join us and members of the Latino Student Union for food and informal conversation. And now, Brenda and Maurice. Good morning, buenos dias. Um, I'd like to thank Professor Hostetler and everybody here at Goshen College for inviting us to come and share this time with you. I'm thrilled to be here, even though we really did drive through a monsoon to get here. Um, we Luckily, we didn't end up flooded out. <laughs> we managed to get through. So it's really lovely to be here. And this is such a beautiful space. Uh, very, very ha happy to be able to share this time with you. Um, as, as Anne said, I grew up in a second generation Mexican American or Chicano family. And growing up, I was especially influenced by my paternal grandfather. And one of my aunts or my tias who both happened to be just fantastic storytellers. And we're always telling stories about uh, life in Mexico uh, to the point that I, as a child, knew much more about Mexican history than I knew about American history. Um, they were bilingual, of course, and so I grew up hearing a lot of interlingual speech all of the time. Later, as I grew up, I began to read uh, Chicano and Latino poets, and I started to see that there were poets out there who were using that interlingual speech, that blend of Spanish and English in their work. Poets like Ayurista and Francisco Alarcón and many others. And I became interested in the ways that I could stretch and manipulate formal poetic techniques by using the two languages and blending them together. I also grew up with an uncle and a brother who were visual artists. And so I, I became a big fan of visual art. I don't have that talent myself, really, but I'm somebody who frequents um, art museums and art galleries, and I have many friends who are painters and sculptors and printmakers, etc. And so I became interested in trying to do collaborative projects with visual artists and musicians, what we call inter-arts work, and blending my word or my poems um, with their visual images and their, their music. Uh, one time I even did a project with a dancer. And um, when I ended up in graduate school in the mid-1990s, I happened to be studying in a course on formal prosody. It was a course on formal prosody where we were learning everything about meter and rhyme and why this trochee is in this iambic line of this poem, okay, very detailed uh, work on prosody, the professor challenged us to write a poem in Old English alliterative verse. And I just looked at him and thought, 
Okay, a sonnet is one thing, buddy, but old English alliterative verse? I mean, this is what Beowulf was written in. And here we are in the mid-1990s, and I'm thinking, how am I going to fit my Chicana self into old English alliterative verse? Well, at the time, I was also doing some graduate work in Latino studies, taking courses, and found out that a performance artist, two performance artists actually, a very famous one named Guillermo Gomez Peña, who's, uh, who went on to win the MacArthur Genius Award, um, and a collaborator of his named Roberto Cifuentes, that the two of them were going to be doing an installation art project at the Detroit Institute of Arts called the Temple of Confessions. It's an interactive, performance-based installation. And so I visited that, um, that piece at the DIA, and that was what ended up spawning my old English alliterative verse poem. But before I read it to you, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Gomez Peña and Cifuentes' work and their installation so that you have some context for the poem. Um, in general, in most of Gomez Peña's work, he tends to place himself inside of an installation and perform there. Often these pieces take place in art museums and he becomes both a subject or an object of art himself to be viewed and studied as well as an ethnographer who's watching and studying the various reactions and interactions of the audience. In this way, he interrogates and he satirizes museum and ethnographic practices that involve displaying the cultural other and representing elements of the exotic. And he ends up inverting the, our traditional paradigms in that way. In this particular piece, The Temple of Confessions, he and Roberto Cifuentes examine the public perception of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, Mexican-Americans' culture through an exaggerated visual tableau, tableau I guess I would call it. It's a, it's a space that is um, just filled with various different kinds of objects. They place themselves in plexiglass cases and they put on the personas of two characters. One is a new age shaman, and the other one is a cyber cholo, or a cyber homeboy, okay? Might be another way to say it. And then they perform these ritual tasks related to Mexican religious and cultural archetypes and stereotypes. They're surrounded by pre-Columbian, colonial, and contemporary pop culture icons mixed together in this chapel-like environment. And one of the things they do is invite the audience to participate by confessing their secret thoughts and fantasies and their fears and their desires about Mexicans, Mexico, and the cultural other. So the audience members end up speaking their confessions into a microphone. They're, they're on a kneeler kneeling in front of these plexiglass cases where the artists are, and they speak their confessions into microphones, and they're recorded. If they're too shy to speak the confessions, they write them on slips of paper, and they pass them into the plexiglass case for the artists to read. And then the artists analyze the confessions and redirect them back to the audience by filtering 
the tapes of them into the space. So as one is walking through this installation and looking around at all of this visual imagery, one is hearing what other audience members have said about their secret thoughts about the cultural other. And in this way, um, the artists end up examining the role of language in constructing spiritual and political borders that divide and corral our thoughts. They search for complex sources of cultural misunderstanding. Um, so that's what they're about, and that's what Temple of Confessions is about. I was a graduate student trying to figure out how to write a poem in Old English alliterative verse and was lucky enough to go to this particular um, art installation. And this is what came out of it. The poem is called Report from the Temple of Confessions in Old Chicano English. Se cruzan canyons in el templo de confessions. Language lies across the barbed lines. Piles of its limbs pierced y pinchados. Risky recordings reveal what we think of the other, offering his objectified body to the river rats who ride his wet back, the coro de coyotes who crave his flesh, the way-faced who whisper their sin in his ear, the translators who trap and trade his tongue, la raza who receive him, la raza who repel him. In this chamber, the chill of chicken flesh, pollito mojado, picoso y picado, the black body bag of the repatriated. Here, the distorted words of debutantes e do-gooders, of no-no-betters e neo-Nazis, of Beowulfs and other born-again beasts, of sandaled sombreros sleeping under cacti, of Machiavellian mentes y mouths, of anthropological autoethnography, of pretend pachucas peeling their layers, of preachers and poets with puckered lips, of the misused multicultural machinery, of the Hispanic hodgepodge hiding their indio, of the Quetzalcoatl concealing their conqueror, of la, la migra meando marking its turf. Here, the hemistitched hemispheres blend, a vacuum of voices absorbed in the velvet paintings of slick y sexy santos, of the Aztec icon at the altar of Aslan, tripping and turning transvestite warrior, of the cyber cholo stripping down Simon, the Vato Loco's liquid eye lures us over borders, their blurred, tumbling barriers calling us to come, stare into the cage. Jaula de joda aquí juntándonos, the table turned and tacked to the wall, lit with votives licking their luscious breakfast bowl of cucarachas on their backs, squirming to free their feet and fly. Okay. So... <laughs> Thank you. Gracias. Thank you. So the images you saw were all stills from the installation, from the Gomez Peña installation. And you saw that he had paintings on, on velvet, and he had a, a body bag in the middle of the room, uh, what looked like a body bag with a person in it, and an INS standing for Immigration and Natural, Naturalization Service stamped across it. Um, and he did actually have a, um, a shelf on a wall set up with a coffee cup saucer 
bowl, spoon and fork, and there were live cockroaches or cucarachas in that bowl, but they were turned on their backs so that they couldn't leave. <laughs> um, and so it really was a, a very rich and exaggerated sort of tableau of, of, of images. Um, and the old English alliterative verse, of course, uses a lot of alliteration, as I'm sure you could hear, the repeated consonant sounds. That is one of the um, formal, formal elements of old English alliterative verse, along with a certain number of beats per line and each line being divided into half, into halves that are called hemistitches. So you have the hemistitch on the left and the hemistitch on the right. Not an easy form to write in in um, the 20th century, <laughs> um, in the sense that often all of that alliteration will seem quite exaggerated um, in contemporary poetry. So I had to find a way to do it and tried to use um, humor and art to help me accomplish that goal. So I think that was really what I had to present to you today, and um, maybe with that we can bring up, there'll be time for questions later. Yeah, if, if you have questions, we can, I can answer them later, and we'll bring uh, Maurice Kilwain Guevara up. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. The sun is about to shine. It's imminent. I know it. And it wasn't quite a monsoon. We, we moved through pretty well, uh, through 90 yesterday. And uh, our thoughts and our prayers, though, are, do go out to everybody down in Texas and, and in the Caribbean that have been hit hard this hurricane season. It's been, a lot of people are suffering, and our love goes out there. I know it. Uh, I want to talk about uh, in, uh, another kind of inter-arts project, and that's Poetry Everywhere. And if you're curious to see the animated film that was done by an undergraduate, oh, slow down, Maurice. An undergraduate, I was told not to rush. An undergraduate <laughs> at UW-Milwaukee. And I think this is so cool because a colleague of mine, Liam Callanan, was on the buses in Milwaukee, and now they have television monitors with sound on the buses and with not much content. And he thought, this is beautiful, wonderful real estate, and it's not being fully exploited in a positive, creative sense. What if we put animated poems on the buses? And he gave a cold call to the Poetry Foundation in Chicago and got them to cough up almost $100,000 to fund the first cycle of 12 uh, poems that were animated by the undergraduates. And uh, just as a quick preface to the poem, it's stolen from real life. My mother, uh, who's in uh, her late 60s now, and her friend, who is now in her late 70s, both from South America, liked nothing more and liked nothing more than to go out and shop and when they're together, they usually speak because they're from South America, mostly Spanish. But the previous day where they were shopping in Gimbel's, which I cleverly changed to Sears to capture a national audience, 
there had been a robbery by two young Latino robbers. And so these two old ladies wouldn't get confused because of their language similarities. My mother's friend suggested that they speak totalmente English. The problem when, when Doña Josefina, who's like an aunt to me, when she speaks only English, it's only Spanglish. So let's, Grant, let's show that film. Doña Josefina counsels Doña Concepcion before entering Sears. Conchita, debemos to speak totalmente in English cuando we go to Sears, okay? ¿Por qué? Porque didn't you hear lo que pasó? It say on the 11 o'clock news anoche que two robbers was caught in Sears and now this is the part I'm not completely segura que I got everything. Porque Chano tu tiene tu sabe the big fat guy that's hard to understand porque he's nosing on his lip like a elefante. Pues the point is que the robbers the police say was two young men pretty big. He one have a hairy face and the other is calvo. That's right. He's baldy. And okay, believe me, que barbaridad. Porque Harry Face and Mr. Baldy goes right into the underwear department, takes all the money from the caja. Yeah, uh-huh, the cash register. And mira, Mr. Baldy goes to this poor Italian woman that I guess would be like a 60 or 65 who's in the section of the back support brassiers. And he makes her put a big bra over her head because she can't see nothing and near like she's talking to God to save her poor life. The other things horrible, pero the point, como dije, es que there was two of them and both was speaking Spanish. Y por eso is a good thing, Conchita. So the people at Sears don't confuse us with Harry and Baldy that we speak English only. Okay, ready? What a nice day to be aquí en Sears, misconception. And, and then I think I just want to uh, end with two things. Uh, one, before I forget, is to invite everybody tomorrow night. Uh, Brenda and I promise uh, to uh, entertain you and move you. And hopefully make you think and want to participate more fully and joyfully in the world. Uh, and the other thing is a, is a kind of practical thing that goes back to the poem and, and the student's animation of the poem. And that is, I was invited into the class to see the storyboard that she had set up as before she had uh, filmed the animation at, for feedback. And she was very literal, translating image for image. And I said, open it up. Use your imagination more. Go off the, use the poem as a starting point, but go off it. And she said, she said I'm not real imaginative, so I don't know if it's going to be very helpful to me. I said, I don't believe that. I see really imaginative drawings here. 
And she said, what in the concrete way can you suggest for me? I said, well, it takes place in a mall. Go to a mall and make sketches of what people are doing. Add, do a site visit as though you're an anthropologist and record this stuff. And she brought things into the poem, into the animation that weren't in the poem out of her imagination. Nowhere does it say they were getting their hair done. I love that in the beginning. Nowhere does it say they're going down an escalator. She brings us to the mall. Nowhere does it say that that was said in the, the, uh, the instructions to her friend are said in the parking lot right outside of the building. Uh, so I, I really applauded her uh, really, she took the, the, the feedback and suggestions constructively and made the animation uh, not only an imitation of the poem, but a kind of celebration of, the, of our human foibles. So uh, it was a pleasure to meet everybody today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think we have time for maybe two questions, maybe one for each, if you have them. And uh, then um, if you have more questions, you could come to the Multicultural Monday Lunch. Anyone have a question? Yes. This is for Brenda. Uh, Brenda, can you tell us a little bit more about your work with uh, Sonido Inquieto? Oh, sure. <laughs> Give us an example. <laughs> started because I was asked to be, I was asked to participate in a, an evening of performance art in which there were going to be uh, several poets, but they weren't just going to get up and do a reading. They were actually going to do performance art pieces. And I had done that in the past, but the collaborators I had worked with were in Michigan, and at the time I was in Chicago. And so I started to think, well, maybe I could just... Um, find some musicians who might accompany me because I, my work tends to be musical. My poetry tends to be very sound-based. And I had a friend named Jose Casas who actually was the guitarist for a, a very well-known um, Chicano punk and Espanol band. And believe it or not, and, and I asked him would he work with me and he said, sure, but we need a drummer. And at the time, I um, was... I was I was teaching and working at the Mexican Fine Arts Center Museum, and I had a student who was a drummer. And when I said to that student, if he would collaborate with me, he'd be working with Jose Casas from Los Crudos, he said, you bet. And then we added saxophone, and we added, um, what else? We had drums, sax, bass. We added a bass player. And we just started to work together. I brought them poems, and they started to create music to go with the poems. And then sometimes we would just get together in a rehearsal space and they would jam and organically start to create a piece of music. And I would write as I was listening to them and then take it home and revise it and refine it. And we would end up, you know, we, we built a repertoire that way. And then we started to uh, play in a lot of different spaces from art galleries and uh, more poets kinds of spaces, cafes, to punk venues, 
because they played a pretty loud, brash, I mean, I screamed over it. There were, a lot of times I was going, rah, 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 you know, over the top of the music. Um, but, but the drummer also had a lot of interest in and origins in hip hop. And so the music wasn't always punk. Sometimes it was, it was a little more hard rock punk edged, and sometimes it had more of the flavor of hip hop. Some pieces had more of the flavor of rhythm and blues, right? They kind of, they worked with the words. And I worked with the music so that we could make each combination its own. Some became more like experimental soundscapey stuff, you know, and then we recorded the CD, and it was in the true punk tradition, a do-it-yourself project, where we found a sound engineer who was a friend and recorded it in a little radio station, and another friend had a friend who worked in a printing press and did the covers at 3 o'clock in the morning when the boss wasn't there. You know, I mean, that was, that was how that came about. So I, I hope that answers your question. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. And we thought Mennonites had the corner on networking, you know. <laughs> A question for Maurice? Anyone? Yes, Kevin. Um, I really enjoyed your poem. And I was wondering, um, what was your mother's reaction uh, to your poem? What was your mother's reaction? <laughs> Ay, Dios mío, don't show, don't show Irma. Don't show Irma that poem. You're not going to read it, are you, when you read in Pittsburgh? I said, why? Uh, she said, you don't say Doña Irma, do you? I said, no, I call her Doña Josefina. She said, oh, then it's okay, that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> you can do that. Uh, I think uh, she was happy with it. Uh, I think it celebrates uh, Doña Irma, really. Uh, more than anything, because, uh, uh, yeah, we all have cultural misunderstandings, but those misunderstandings are, have a foundation in reality, and the foundation is feeling different, because, uh, and you have to understand, in the 1990s in Pittsburgh, there weren't a lot of uh, Latinos, there weren't a lot of people speaking Spanish. Uh, for example, in Goshen, you might hear Spanish on a regular basis out in the world, but it wasn't as typical and there was there was also at the same time uh, uh, a proposition in California to make a, a, an English only movement and and uh, it, it, it Spanish speakers started to feel conspicuous about their use of 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 their own language uh, in in the American culture, so her wanting to speak English only. Uh, she was responding to, to uh, an, uh, what I would say is an uglier uh, face of, uh, of American provincialism. So, and, and it works through that difficult moment uh, with, with humor. So I think, she was, I think she was pretty much happy with it. Yeah. 